where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. I often like to use this Labor Day weekend to explore a little bit the connection between our work and our purpose. And in Christian tradition, we call that vocation. I think often we um, think that vocation is something that applies to just religious professions, but it's really about the marriage between our Christian lives and our day-to-day lives. Uh, When Martin Luther was talking about vocation, and he was one of the earliest people to talk about vocation using that word, he said, every occupation has its own honor before God. In our daily work, no matter how important or mundane, we serve God by serving neighbor. And we also participate in God's ongoing providence for the human race. Labor Day itself wasn't a particularly religious movement, but it certainly picks up strands of this idea of vocation. When workers came together to demand better conditions, better uh, quality of life, better pay and working hours, they were on some really sound theological ground. The idea is that all work and therefore all workers matter. And if that is true, then everything is a holy calling. If everything is a holy calling, then we are prompted to ask, why would people in factories and fields have lower working conditions than people in offices or other professions? Those are worthy questions to wrestle with, and that would be a whole direction that we could spend some time this morning. But today I actually want to think about how we each listen for our vocation. How do we listen for where we are called to serve others, not just in our paid work, but in all that we do? One of the most famous definitions in recent times of vocation comes from Frederick Buechner, who said that your vocation is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. And what is especially profound about this definition is that he starts from the place of knowing yourself. We often want to start from a place of knowing the world's great needs, which is a bit of an overwhelming place to start. But Buechner calls us into some self-reflection first. And so we're going to spend some time this morning with Mary and Martha, and we're going to look at this from a different angle with the idea of knowing ourselves as the starting place. I am reading from Luke 10, beginning at verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. 
She had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and so she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work myself? Tell her to help me. But Jesus answered her, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is only need of one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken away from her. This particular story of Mary and Martha has a surprising amount of complexity for what seems like a pretty short interlude along Jesus' journey. It's one of those stories that can sometimes seem vaguely unsettling. And I appreciate some of the people, the writers, who have said not to rush too quickly to make this story palatable or easy. There is an unsettled sense about it sometimes. There can be this feeling that rather than telling Martha to relax, Jesus could have encouraged everybody to lend a hand. As I once heard someone say, never in the history of calming down has anyone ever calmed down by being told to calm down. Sometimes the Spirit speaks to us through our experiences of this unsettledness. And so I want to hold the possibility that that is a valid response to this story, and that it may be telling us something, even while we continue to look at some other possibilities for hearing the story. One of the things that I want to point to this morning is that there are some couple um, kind of editorial decisions that get made in the biblical translations of this story that I think get in the way of considering its full possibility. The main one is this Greek word diakona. Martha is busy with diakona. We had it as tasks. But diakona is the same word that deacon comes from, as a church deacon, and it means at base level something more like service. So you can see where the idea of service carries multiple meanings. It does, even in our lives today. In the Bible, it is most often used in contexts that make it clear it's Christian service or ministry. So, for example, in Acts 6-4, the apostles say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to diakona, which we have as ministry. Or later on, after completing their mission, Barnabas and Saul return to Jerusalem, and they bring with them John, whose other name was Mark. And in their mission is diakona. If we play with this story in this way, thinking more about service and even possibilities for what service might have met, we can hear the idea of vocation playing out a little differently. We could read it as though Martha is worried, perhaps, about feeding the hungry, or spreading Jesus' message, or feeding the sick. And Mary, on the other time, is using her time to listen at the feet of Jesus, which means to study with 
Jesus. Both of those are worthwhile choices, aren't they? And it is a tension we know. Should we make more time for silence or volunteer more with whatever we are volunteering with? Should we join the choir to help lead worship on Sunday morning, or should we use our worship time to recenter and regroup and connect with God? These are questions we face every day. And there's no magic formula to tell us what the right thing to do is or when, unfortunately. But I think there are a few insights that we can learn from Mary and Martha this morning that might help us with our ongoing discernment work, our prayerful decision work. First, we might take to heart the idea that we can know what is ours to do. I notice that Martha isn't really admonished for the work that she's doing. The focus of Jesus' comment seems to be more her anxiousness and her worry. Her busyness reminds me sometimes of how I feel when I hear the quote, do all the good you can in all the ways you can to all the souls you can, in every place you can, in all the times you can, with all the zeal you can, which is a lot of doing. But maybe the emphasis there, even in that, is on can. What is the good that we can do at each time? And I believe that God dreams big. And so I know that sometimes we are called to work that takes some effort. But we are also not called to worry or fret about everything that we cannot do. And so when we are overwhelmed by the very many possibilities for meeting the world's deep needs, There's rarely any harm in pausing for a moment. Overwhelm and that sense of urgency that it carries are the enemy of good discernment. Second, in this interchange, I see the possibility that Jesus is saying that minimizing is not the same as prioritizing. We all have to make decisions about what we can do. Perhaps the mistake that Martha made was assuming that Mary's work was less important. If knowing what is yours to do means letting go of what's not yours, it might also mean accepting that other people will prioritize different things, which is frustrating. But it also means that in the big picture, things will get done. And the third thing is the idea that soul care is vocational work too. And I am using the word soul care instead of self-care intentionally. It's a phrase that I've come to appreciate through the work of Tricia Hersey, She is also known as the Knapp Bishop. Hersey is a theologian and a woman of color, and her activism is built around the framework, rest is resistance. 
In a culture that values production over people, rest itself is a disruptive act. As she often says, you are not a machine. And so when she talks about soul care, she says, soul care takes a deeper view of ourself as human beings worthy of care. We are often quicker to buy an expensive spa product than we are to take a nap. But what has gotten into our souls when we don't think we're worthy of sleep? She goes on to say, you can't even get to self-care until you can look at what is happening at a soul level. Her work challenges us to think about some of these pretty big questions, some of the ones that we actually even started with a little bit when we thought about the history of Labor Day. Who gets to rest and who doesn't? Who barely scrapes by no matter how much they work? And why do we place such a high value on producing things? When I hear Jesus say to Martha, you are anxious and distracted by many things, I hear echoes of this rest as resistance framework. Whether Martha was busy about getting dinner ready for all of the important guests or getting dinner ready for people in need, There is a revolutionary message to say, let it go for now. No one is here to judge how much you're doing. Or as Hersey says, all of culture is working against us. Modern society tells us we don't have enough, we aren't doing enough. But we have enough of everything, including time. Grind culture has created a pace that takes away our dream space. We can restore it. We will rest. Maybe that's an undertone coming through in what Jesus offers to Martha. And if it is, then it is a particularly revolutionary message at this time and this place and coming from Jesus, who does tend to call us to do really hard things. But if we go into our vocations, our day-to-day lives of looking for all of the good that we can do, whatever that may be and whatever stage of life we are at, if we go into that work with the framework of soul care, we might find that it liberates us as well as the people that we serve in all of the ways that we do that work. Let us rest for a moment in some music.